Amen. So good to see you all. You know, I, I want to start off this, this morning by, by asking you a simple question. Have you ever known someone really, really, really well? You know, I'm not talking about someone that you just work with, not acquaintances, you know, not someone you just come across every now and then. Someone who you know really well. You know, maybe your wife, uh, you know, maybe a best friend, you know, maybe a brother or a sister. Someone you know really, really well, a longtime friend. You know, and uh, have you ever known someone so well and then they do something that's completely out of the ordinary? Like completely off the wall, completely not characteristic to that person. And it makes you question, Matt, I thought I knew you. Right? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it's happened to me too. Let me tell you a little story once that uh, about uh, Holly and I actually. And uh, <laughs> this is funny. I know Holly really well. We've been together now for over 20 years. Uh, we've been married for 15. We dated for for six. So we we've known each other for a long time. And uh, this probably happened. I'd say probably we were married, uh, but no kids. The glory days. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, you know, we had, the free, we had no children, so we had the freedom to go and do whatever we wanted to do. And one day we decided to go down to Toronto. So we were driving down to Toronto. We stopped on the 401. Does anybody know, anyone that worked at that GM probably knows this place, that, that, that rest stop. It's kind of like a big circle of restaurants. There's a New York Fries, a, Subway, a whole bunch of different restaurants, McDonald's next door. You know what I'm talking about, right? We stopped there to get a snack or lunch. I don't remember. Uh, but we were both walking out, out of this restaurant, uh, and there was a van parked right next to Tim Hortons. And for some unknown reason, they had left the back doors of this van wide open. And guess what was there? A whole truckload full of donuts. Beautiful donuts. Every donut that you could see, the, the sprinkle ones, the honey dip, Everything it was all there, all, and wide open to the atmosphere. Everyone could see. Everyone was walking by. They weren't even looking at the traffic. They were just watching these donuts as they walked in. They saw that they just. goes, I should just grab one of those off of the truck. And I'm like, I dare you to, because I knew she. Holly is the most pure person that I know. She would never do anything like that. And then all of a sudden, she goes like this. She just walks over, grabs a donut off the truck, walks away. Takes a bite out of it, and there were some people in the restaurant. They were knocking on the window, saying, "Yeah, I saw what you did." <laughs> Don't worry, we gave fabulously to the Tim Hortons Foundation afterwards. It's all legit now, but uh, you know your sins will always find you out too. Because the one thing that I guess they knew, they left the doors open the vent for a reason. Because not too many people know this, but donuts are not made fresh at Tim Hortons. They're actually frozen. So we took a bite out of the donut and it was frozen. So it wasn't so good after all. Uh, but anyways, could it be sometimes, though, that the perceptions that we have of others don't always line up to reality? Could it be that, you know, I'm not even talking about people that you know really well now. It could be someone, you know, like the person sitting next to you. Maybe you don't really know them all that well. You know, maybe you come to church and you're like, Oh, I, I'm not going to talk to that person today because I'll tell you what. Back in 1987 when I first came to this church, I came and I tried, I sat in the pew and I took their space and they were, they were mean to me. They gave me a really dirty look. And if that's true from 1987, it must be true right now. They still must be really grumpy, so I'm not even going to bother with that person. <laughs> Could it be that that's not the reality anymore? Could it be that that's not the case anymore? I thought I knew you. You know, we as humans, we have this, this funny way of becoming familiar in all of our relationships, all of them. 
We think we understand people. We think we know others so well. When the truth is that most of us lack the even basic self-awareness even to even understand ourselves fully, let alone other people. And, you know, one thing that, that I, I got to say that really bothers me is when people approach God with that same attitude, yeah, 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 I've heard it all before. We can't approach God that way. You know, and, you know, maybe it's not that, maybe being saying that it bothers me isn't the right word. Maybe it's that it's actually a little bit scary, right? Because it's your attitude. It, it, it's your attitude. You need, an ex- I'm, I'm going to tell you right today, if you have that attitude, you need a fresh experience with the Lord this morning. You need to have a new revelation of who he is right now. Not tomorrow, not in a few years, right now. You need a fresh revelation of who he is. You need a touch from God today that will make you say, Lord, I thought I knew you, but it turns out I have a long, long way to go. Amen? Amen. All right, so my script today, uh, what I'm going to be doing, you can turn to your Bibles right now if you want to. You have the Bible app. You can open that up as well, too. I'd like you guys to read along with me on this. Open up your your big King, King James Version Bible if you have that, too. That's all right. Or your scrolls. Unroll them if you want. But I'm going to be reading from Acts 9, and this is commonly called Saul's Conversion. All right, and uh, I'm going to read it to you right now. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So you know he was serious. He was breathing it out. That means that everything that was within him was thinking about taking these guys out. He was breathing it out. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and the way was what they referred to as Christians in those days, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what did Paul say, Saul say? He said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and went and he opened his eyes and he couldn't see an incredible experience that, that Saul had that we can read about. Don't you love it? When Jesus interrupts your life, don't you love it when he does that? No, I'm serious about that. We, we, we tend to get into these routines in the way that we act, you know, in our thought patterns and, and maybe the way we, th- we, you know, we reason things out. But, you know, maybe I can get personal today. Maybe even in a way that we do church, you know, that can become routine as well sometimes, right? And the only way we can be truly transformed is to be knocked off of our high horse, right? You let me be a little bit bold this morning in saying something. Jesus, I give you permission this morning to interrupt the service. He wanted to do something. Right? Jesus, I give you permission to interrupt, you know, our lives this morning if you want to. That's totally okay with us. You know, Jesus, I give you permission to interrupt who we think that you are even this morning. We give you permission to do that. Are you with me on that? Lord, give us, we give you permission to do what you want to do this morning. Amen? Amen. Because Jesus is in the business of transformation, not stagnation. That's, that's what he's in the business of. You know, it's the same kind of transformation that can turn a persecutor into an apostle. Right? It's the same kind of transformation that can transform us from worthless to worthy. Right? From pawns to princes. Right? And princesses too, of course. And from now on, you know, and it, 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 I have seen it all. And I, you know, when you say I've seen it all, well, I thought I knew you. I, you know, I, you, the real fact of the matter is you've only scratched the surface of who he is. You've just scratched the surface of his majesty, of his glory. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about Paul for a little bit. 
All right. I actually got to study Paul in the university in a class called uh, Paul in His Own Words. And it was really interesting because if you really dig into the word, you can discover quite a few interesting things about Paul in of himself. First and foremost was the fact that he was a Jew's Jew. He said actually of himself in Romans 1.1, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. You know who else was from the tribe of Benjamin? King Saul, right? And a lot of theologians actually believe that Saul was named after King Saul way back in antiquity. So he came from a devout Jewish family background. He had a proper Jewish background, right back to Abraham. So you know you couldn't question him on his heritage. But there was still more of that as well, too. You can see in this picture of him, this, this uh, ancient picture, or the, probably from the, I don't know, whatever art age it was. But you can see he's carrying his books there. And this is a funny image, too, because he was actually an academic as well. He actually studied under one of the, the, the best uh, rabbis in history, and that was Gamaliel. Gamaliel. So Paul knew his stuff. He knew the law. In fact, for generations, his family was very tied to the Pharisaic traditions as well, too. So he knew the law. He lived by the law. He knew it. He was not, you couldn't challenge this guy. He knew his stuff. So why am I giving you a history lesson here? Because I'm trying to prove the point that he was approved by the heads of the Jewish community. He had clout. He had respect because of his birthright, because of his education, because of his trade as well, too. He was an artisan as well, too, which was common for people that were, had a lot of clout back in those days. He was a fantastic tent maker as well, too, on top of it all. And uh, he was also respected because of his religious zealousness, which was the fuel for his plan to go after anyone who believed in Jesus. He was approved. Paul was approved. Every Jew believed that he was actually doing the work of God by going after the Christians, by persecuting people of the way. All right? He had lived it. He had seen it. He had experienced it. He had learned it. Paul would have said, I have seen the, all there is to see. He would have been one of those people. Because he knew it all. And then in a flash, literally, in a flash, that's what Jesus does. That's what he did. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. Who are you, Lord? Don't you find that fascinating, right? A man who spent his lifetime in religious devotion, all right, studying the law, living the law, did not recognize the voice of God. Isn't that something? He spent all that time, and he still didn't recognize the voice of God. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. Even with his qualifications, you know, Paul could not, Saul could not argue back at that statement. Who are you, Lord? I, I didn't, you know, I don't know about you, but this is one of those questions that keeps me up at night. Why? Because I don't want to be the person that spends his entire life going through the motions of Christianity, right? And having, having zero impact on my life. I don't want to be that person. How about you? I don't want to be that person. Let me ask you this. Is it possible that some of the situations that you're facing today may not be what they seem? Maybe you're on the road to Damascus this morning. Maybe you're on your road. And, you know, here's my experience. Some of the worst experiences that I've ever had, that I've ever faced, the ones that knocked me down, the ones that made me question, God, why are you doing this to me? God, are you even real? Are also the ones that had the most transformative impact on my life. Right? Because as hard as it was, as beaten down as I was, as physically harmful as it was, you know, as physically harmful it was to my sensibilities even, it was the time that I can look back and see the true nature of God. I thought I knew you, but it turns out I only knew you when I could handle it in my own strength, right? When I could handle it in my own understanding, when I could handle it with who I thought that I was. But now I'm on the floor. Now that I'm on the floor, now that I'm at my lowest point, 
when I can't see what's in front of me, the only thing I have is faith. And that is what exactly the point that I can experience the true nature of God. And what is the nature of God? God is good. And guess what? It's even better than that. God is good all the time. All the time, regardless of the situation. He is good. And we can go into his presence, into his goodness when we are at that lowest point. Which is why I can say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff too. Right? Amen. You know, I find it quite interesting that, that sometimes God has to get our attention. You know, why does he have to get our attention? <laughs> you know, he made everything that's out there. Everything that you're looking at. Everything that you're breathing in. All of it. God made it all. He made, all our, sen- he made our five senses. You know, and, you know, for us to see him, but, it, it, you know, we can see him, but we don't always accept him. We don't always pull him in and understand that he's there around us all the time. You know, Saul not only saw a light from heaven, but he also heard a voice from heaven following that as well, too. And one thing that you see in the Bible repeated all the time is the fact that whenever the glory of God is seen with eyes, the word of God also follows. Right? There's something visual, then the word of God, the voice of God comes immediately afterwards. What is seen is always designed to make way for what is about to be said. Okay? This was also true for Moses when he saw the burning bush. Look at Exodus 3 and 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, you know, I'm going to go over there and see that strange sight. I'm going to see why it's not burning up. Moses turned to the burn. He turned to the burn. It was there. And he said, yeah, I want to check this out. I want to see it. I want to see why it's burning. were humbling situations. Moses argued with God and thought that, you know, he was not worthy of the call toward to the Israelites, to save the Israelites. Right? He didn't think he was worthy enough. Paul was humbled because in a matter of seconds, his education, his genealogy, they meant absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. He was lowered to the dirt and blinded. But in both these situations, these men finally entered into their true destinies. And they were exactly the opposite of what they thought their destinies were supposed to be. The exact opposite. God, I thought I knew you, but it turns out, you know, what I thought was, was, was important was actually worthless. Right? We make these assumptions and think that we know what he wants, but you know what? We're not listening to God. We need to turn to that burn. Amen? There are many people who cannot do that, though. When I grew up in Montreal... You know, I took public transportation probably from grade three or four off to my school. I didn't take the school bus. We just jumped on the, the, the bus or the metro to get to where I needed to go. And I did that right up until university. And unfortunately, uh, you know, taking public transportation in Montreal isn't always the safest thing. I got robbed probably, I think it's, it was five times. I got robbed on public transportation. And uh, it's a very, let me tell you this, I don't hold that as a badge of honor. It is a humbling experience, Okay. And uh, what it's interesting about it, when you see it on TV and stuff like that, when people get robbed, it's not like that at all. Uh, we actually had in school, and it wasn't just me. I don't have a face that needs to be robbed, by the way. <laughs> There's a lot of all my friends. It happened to everybody. And um, once uh, when I was in school, we had a, a martial arts expert come to one of our uh, auditoriums one of our, uh, to do a speech. And uh, one of the students asked, you know, what do you do if somebody robs you or tries to take your money when you're on the metro or on the train? And uh, he said, give them your wallet. 
if, I, if it was me, give them your wallet. And this was a black belt, whatever he was. Like, he was very well-known and respected in the martial arts community. And what he said was, give it. Give it away. Your life is worth a lot more than your wallet, obviously. And uh, another thing that's interesting about, too, about being robbed is that even when it happened when there was people everywhere, it wasn't like I was alone in a dark alley somewhere. I was surrounded by people. But what happens is when you get robbed, whenever there's danger, what happens is something called the bystander effect, right, where people see it, but they're not, they're not going to risk themselves to get involved in the situation. And so when they see that there's other people around, they think, you know, there's this diffusion of responsibility that goes over people. And they think, well, I'll let somebody else handle it. I'm just going to keep to myself. So when you get robbed, you're on your own. That's what happens. And uh, people go into self-preservation. And it's the bystander effect. What we see with Paul's crew, who, like Paul wasn't alone when he was going down the road to Damascus. He had a crew of people with him, right? And but what was interesting about this is when God came, when God showed up, they all became bystanders. Have you ever experienced something so incredible in your life, but when you share it with someone else, they just don't seem to be that impressed by it? Have you seen that? I find that really odd sometimes, where something that affects you so deeply, that changes you so dramatically, you tell someone, they're like, oh, that's great, that's great. I got to go, right? They're just not as interested in it as you are. You know, and... Um, they just didn't seem that impressed. It's like, you know, you think, them, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Because what I'm seeing is pretty impressive. But, they, you know, don't be surprised when you have your burning bush experience that no one seems to be as changed or as challenged as you are. Because when you have a personal encounter with God, it is just that. It's a personal encounter. Okay? It's a personal encounter. It becomes an experience that no one else will understand as deep as you do. And that's a special thing that you can treasure for yourself. Right? You know, they were, they were going to go with Paul and arrest these Christians. They were sold. They bought into that mission. You know, they might not have been as spiteful, as murderous as he was at the time, but they were on board. And when God interrupted their boys' day out, they actually also fell to the ground as well, too. It says in the Bible, they fell to the ground. They didn't hear their voice. They heard a sound, but they were confused because they couldn't figure out where the voice was coming from. Right? They couldn't hear it. Something, you know, and they, they stood up and became speechless. They became confused, and, and what is said, not said here is actually more interesting than what is, is not said. What is not said here is actually more interesting than what is said. The scripture does not say that they immediately followed Saul because of what God told him. It doesn't say that. It says that they helped him get to Damascus. They're on the road to, but they helped him get to Damascus, and that's the end of the story. We never hear about these guys again. They weren't saved. I don't think they were saved. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible that these guys followed Saul and were apostles of, of Paul later on. It didn't say that. It says that they were just confused. And they helped him get to the Damascus, and that's it. Sayonara. Goodbye. Goodbye, Saul. Isn't that funny? You know, and it makes me think, too, as well, too, that, that you know, Jesus made it clear to us to not go after a sign. All right? Paul's crew saw the sign, and it did not transform their lives. They saw it, but it didn't change them. And it didn't transform their lives. You know, the Israelites also, they saw lots of signs, but they still wandered around the wilderness for a long time, and they still disobeyed. They still saw signs. You can see signs and not have it change you. You know, when I think about it in all the years that I've been in the church as well, too, I've seen people experience signs, wonders, and burning bush experiences in their lives. But I've also seen people that have received those and not transform them whatsoever. That is really scary to me. Because if God gives you a burning bush experience, if he gives you something, if he gives you an encounter, you need to turn to the burn. You need to actually listen to his voice, which is going to follow, and tell you what to do. Amen? You need to do that. 
So the guys, they saw the sign, but they didn't turn to it. They did not hear the voice of God. They were not paying attention. They did not have ears to hear, right? And that's funny, too. Now when I'm a father, uh, I, I know that my kids barely listen to me ever. <laughs> Serena's into coloring right now. She's doing really good. And when she's coloring, she is so hyper-focused and staying in the lines right now. She's four years old, and she's coloring in the lines so perfectly. And if I say to her, hey, Serena, make sure that, you know, when you're done with that marker, you put the lid back on because they dry out. I want to make sure that you keep your markers in good shape so that we don't have to keep buying you markers every two weeks. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, I keep telling, saying that to her. I'm looking at her directly like that. She's coloring. And I stop, and I think, she's not listening to a word I'm saying. Serena, did you, what, did I, what did Daddy just say? I don't know. <laughs> she's not, not listening. She didn't have ears to hear my instruction of what I was saying to her. And what I've realized about God's direction is that it's also tailored specifically for us in our humanity as well, too. Signs are not the direction. Don't go after signs because, you know what, signs are just signs. That's all they are. They're wonderful. They're miraculous. But signs are just signs. In fact, you know what, you know, don't come to church if you're just looking for a sign. I'll be direct with you. Don't come to church if you're looking just for a sign and a wonder. Go to Disney World if you want a wonder. Disney World is a lot better at giving you wonders and experiences than the church. I can tell you that right now. They're, they're, they're professionals at it, right? Don't come to church because you, don't come to church if you're looking for a sign. Come to church because you're looking to be transformed, right? That's why we come. Is we come to be transformed. Can I be a little bit blunt for a second? Is that all right? Is that okay? Don't be offended, okay? You know, do I want each and every one of these seats filled? Yeah, absolutely I do. But you know what? Being transformed, that are, are growing, that are maturing and maturing continually. Amen? Is that what you want too? Is that what you want? Amen. I want people falling to their knees asking, Lord, where are you? Who are you? What do you want me to do? That's the desire of my heart to see all, in all of you, that you want to go after God with all your hearts. Remove the scales from my eyes that I may see you. Why? Because I do not want to be one of Paul's bystanders. I don't want to be one of those people who, while are present, could not understand. And even though they had heard a sound, they could not see who it was coming from. No, I want to be the ones who hear. Amen? And just look about these people in the, that were with Paul as well, too. They probably thought, you know, I'm hanging out with Saul. This guy is somebody. I'm part of his crew. And guess what? We don't know anything about them after this. That's it. We know nothing about them. They're gone. Do you want to be that person? I want to be a person of substance that actually transforms and is able to bring people into a transformative experience as well. Amen? Amen. All right. So we're, we're in this for transformation. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Because when you have your Damascus experience, you know, you're not left with a whole lot. Not right away anyways. Right? We read the story of Paul, you know, as a reader. So we, so we also know what happened afterwards. You know, we have the luxury uh, of reading that, you know, what he did afterward, after this experience. But try for a second to think about what Paul must have felt like at that moment, right? Because his entire identity was taken away. Every aspect of his identity, he was left, he was stripped of everything. He was on his knees on the, in the dirt, and he couldn't see anything. It would feel like everything was done, that everything was over. That was it. We even see that Jesus called him twice. You know, it says that in the Bible there. It says twice. It's Saul, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's not there by, you know, God called him Saul twice. You know what? Almost like he was reminding Saul of who he's named after. You know, King Saul, a king who was also brought down, all right? Who was also humbled despite the earthly identity he had been given. 
And then when Saul was humbled, when Saul, who was also called Paul, by the way, that's why I keep tripping up on that, Saul, who was also called Paul, once he was floored, once he had his identity stripped, once his vision was removed, his crew also seemingly left as well. You know, funny how once the party is over, every, all the friends tend to leave. Right? Let me say something. If you've ever found yourself being abandoned by your friends, it's probably because God is doing something really important in you. All right? Don't worry about if all your friends take off on you. It might be a good thing, actually. God might be stripping that away from you because he knows where you want you to be. He knows where he wants you to be. Right? What I love about this, though, is that Paul's crew, who are going to be used as weapons against the church in Damascus, that's what they were. These guys were going to be, these were the strong arms. These were the, this was the, the might behind Paul. These guys that were going to be used as weapons against the church in Damascus were instead used as witnesses of what God did in Paul. Right? They turned from weapons to witnesses. That's awesome. Amen? All right. And although the men that were with Paul were confused at what had happened, Paul was not in a much better shape. The only absolute Paul had to deal with, you know, was that even though he had seen it all, he had heard it all, he had learned it all, he actually did not know it all. He didn't know it all. Who, he didn't know who God was, and he had made a big, giant mistake. He made a giant mistake. The plan that he had made, backed up by the law, with the authority of his birthright, and the sign-off of the high priest, it was a solid plan. It was a good plan from their perspective. But, you know, it was actually just a blind decision. That's when someone else is going to tell you what to do. That's not a whole lot of direction, is it? That's not a whole lot of, to go on, even if you have Google Maps on your phone. Go into the city and someone else is going to tell you what to do. That's not a whole lot to go on, you know, especially when you're blind. But if God wants you to do something, if he wants you to do something great in you, you better believe that your strategy, the one that you're thinking up, it's not going to work. Right? You have to turn to him and listen for the direction that he has for you. Because your strategy is not going to work. The only thing that's going to work is blind obedience and dependence on him and only him. I thought I knew you, Lord, but it turns out I've been trusting myself more than you. Oh, that I might know you, Lord. You know, I actually believe that Paul's Damascus Road experience became part of the inspiration for him to write Philippians 3.10, which says this. And I continue long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience the complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. This is the good part here. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. He doesn't have it. He's recognizing here. What a change. This is a transformation here. We read about him in Acts he knew it all. Now he's saying, I don't have it yet. I don't have it. But he says, but I run with passion into his abundance. I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Oh, Lord, that I may know you more fully. Amen. That's the cry of my heart this morning. Is that yours? I want to know you full, more fully. And I'm not, yet, I'm not there yet, but I am absolute, I'm in absolute pursuit of it. Are you with me on that? Amen. Let's stand up and, and let's just ask God to give us that experience. If you haven't had it yet, we need it. In fact, if you've had it already once, you still haven't seen it all. We need more. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you're a good, good father. 
And uh, Lord, uh, we, we read of, of, of Saul here as he came to know you, Lord, and he came with, with everything that he thought he was. And Lord, we just ask right now, Lord, that uh, if there's any part of us that is not of you, Lord, strip it away. Burn it up, Lord. Burn it up. Let, take it away from us. Lord, take it away from us and restore something else that's better for us, Lord, that, you, that give us the identity that you want for us. And, Lord, uh, we don't ever want to assume that we know everything of you. We do not, Lord. Uh, the, what we discover is when we earnestly go after you is that the more we, know, more we learn about you, the less we realize we actually know and we need to know more. And so, Lord, we go after you in full pursuit. Lord, we ask, Lord, that uh, if, if we need to have an experience, Lord, a burning bush experience, Lord, that uh, we will just turn to that burn, Lord. We'll turn to that experience and listen for your word for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you are a God that always delivers, Lord, that you are a God that always sets us on the right path. So, Lord, we just ask right now, Lord, that you'll just attune our minds, that you'll make our ears available to hear your voice, and, Lord, that we will just walk into your glory, into your blessing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Let me know if you have a Damascus experience, okay? Amen. God bless.